you have your Bibles, please open with me to the Gospel of Mark. Find chapter 1 and find verse 21. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. This morning we're going to jump right back into where we left off last week in the Gospel of Mark. Just by a quick reminder, last week we saw the beginnings of the ministry of Jesus. Specifically, we looked where He began to call His first apostles. We saw Him call Peter and Andrew. We heard the command of Christ where He said, follow me. And immediately we see they followed Him, leaving their work, their livelihood behind. The very next verses tells us about another two set of brothers, James and John, who likewise immediately followed Jesus, leaving not only their livelihood but also their father behind. So the story continues as we step back into the next part of Jesus' ministry. What shall we see today? One broad overarching point the authority of Jesus. We see it displayed very clearly in these verses that we'll read together this morning. The authority of Jesus. Let's read them together. Begin in verse 21, and we'll read down through verse 34. And they, that's Jesus and His four apostles so far, went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath He entered the synagogue and was teaching And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him, and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Verse 29. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon And Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let's pray over our verses this morning. Father, we again bow our heads to you in prayer as we turn our attention to your word, to the preaching of your word. I pray, Father, that as we look at these verses and we see the authority of Christ, that we would join in with those who witnessed it firsthand and marvel at his authority. I pray that we would just not marvel at what He has done in the past, but we would marvel at His authority displayed in our lives today. Above all, Lord, I pray Your name would be glorified. And I do ask, Father, if there be someone that has not bowed a knee to the authority of Christ this morning, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would bow that knee to Christ and call Him Lord, and repenting of their sins, be saved. Thank You, Father, for this time, and pray Your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
As we have already witnessed in these last three weeks, Mark wastes no time in getting to the important part of the story, right? I mean, just look at these verses we just read. In 14 verses, we're told several different things about Jesus, that he honors the Sabbath, he taught in the synagogues, there he cast out a demon, he amazed the people, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then he, it, we are told that he healed many and cast out many demons. There's a lot that is going on in these 14 verses. And Mark seems to take the approach of, let's see how much we can fit into one very quick story. And as we read through it, it seems like this all happened in just one day, right? Did you notice that? It started on the Sabbath and they ended up at Simon's um, mother-in-law's house and, and he healed her and then the town brought the people to him. Now, I want to say there's nothing wrong with fitting a lot in, but we have to be careful when we approach verses like this because we can have the tendency to miss a broader part of the story if we're focusing on all of the, the various details here. And what I mean is, is this. We could look at verses 21 and 22, the start of our reading together. And we could simply focus in on the teaching of Christ and how Jesus was set apart from the other religious leaders of the day. But if we do, we will miss the broader point that Mark is trying to make across all of these verses. What is the point then? I've already told you, it's the authority of Jesus. We see Mark very clearly focusing in on the authority of Jesus. It's all over these verses. I want you to see it before we talk about the specifics of it. I just want to kind of do an overview and point this out where we see this taking place in these verses. We see this in verse 22. Look again with me. We're actually told, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority. Mark doesn't leave us wondering. He's making a point here for us to, to catch on to, that the focus is the authority that is found in his teaching. If you mark in your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline that or highlight it. It's not the only time we see that word in these verses. You can jump down to verse 27 and we will see it again. At this point, we're still in the synagogue. We're still dealing with the same group of people. Verse tells us there, and they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Same word, we see it again there. So two things that are happening here. We see Jesus' teaching and His authority being observed in it. We see Him casting out this demon and then being amazed at His authority. But that's not all. Those, those are the only two times we see the word authority used in this section, but it's not the only time we see the use of authority, if that makes sense. Jump down to verse 31. We see something else amazing happen. And he came, verse 31, and he came and took her by the hand, that's Simon's mother-in-law, and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. What's happening in this verse? Jesus heals here, right? First healing miracle that we see in the book of Mark. And it's no mistake that it's in the context of the authority of Christ. It's the same authority we're seeing on display here. Even though it's not mentioned, we're seeing this amazing display. And then we can't miss verse 34. The one that sums it up, kind of ties everything together. What's it tell us here? And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I love how this verse sums it up. It tells us that he heals many, that he casts out demons. And then it tells us he does not permit them to speak. Now, if that does not speak of authority, I don't know what does. Amen. We're 
confronted with the authority of Christ all over these verses. And we have to remember that as we look at the start of this gospel, this is one of the first stories right out of the gate. After Jesus calls his first apostles, this is the first thing that they are witnessing is this amazing authority. And it's not just witnessed by them. Did you catch that in verse 33? It's witnessed by the whole city, the whole area of Capernaum. As they brought their sick, as they brought their, those that were oppressed and possessed by demons, the whole city is witness to this authority. Now before we go in further into this, let's identify the specific types of authority that we see in these verses. Actually, let's take a step back even more than that and, and define what we're talking about when we say the word authority. We all know that defining words is very important, right? It's very important because we have seen in our lifetime words change meaning within our culture and our context, right? So let's be sure we're talking about the, the same thing when we say the word authority. Now here's a, a definition for authority that, that I pulled uh, off of the internet. It's a pretty good definition and we're going to simplify it even more. But the, uh, the uh, definition is this. Authority is the power to determine or otherwise settle issues or disputes. It speaks of jurisdiction the right of control, the right to command, or the right to determine. There's a lot at play in that definition, so I want us to just simplify it and say this, that the authority that we are talking about today is when someone has power over someone or something else. That's the use of the word authority we see in these verses and that we will be talking about this morning. In the case of Christ, we see this display of authority in three areas. We see it first in his teaching. His authority is placed on display. His power is placed on display in his teaching. Second, we see it when he casts out demons. And then lastly, we see it when he heals people of disease. So again, to bring our definition back into play, Jesus Jesus displays his power over these areas in these verses. So let's talk about each of these areas. First, his authority in teaching. So we're going to go back up to to verse 21, 22, those verses there. Now we are told when it comes to the teaching of Christ in these verses that his teaching is unique. That the audience that was listening to him saw something different in his teaching. Something that they had not seen before that made him set out different than the scribes of the day. You see that in verse 22 when Scripture tells us that He taught them as one who had authority and not as of the scribes. That means something here. That before we even get to the healings, before we get to the demon that is cast out of the person in the following verses, those that heard Jesus taught were amazed at His teaching before there was any other visible power on display. Now let's think about that for just a moment. His teaching alone astonished the people. There is something special about the way that Jesus teaches. And this doesn't surprise us, right? We believe that Jesus is the master teacher. We see how he uses parables to take something that is familiar and explain a deep theological truth, right? We could turn back to the Gospel of Matthew and we could see one of the longest teaching segments of Christ in the Scriptures. And it's also one of the first glimpses of Christ. Uh, that we see in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. Three full chapters of His teaching. 
I guarantee you guys that was not a 30 or 45 minute sermon. That was a long, long sermon. But oh, how sweet it would have been to hear that, right? We're familiar, again, how he took parables and, and taught some deep truths about the kingdom of God. What is interesting today as we approach these verses in Mark is we have no idea what he was teaching. Did you notice that? Look again. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again and see if we can identify anything that connects to what he was talking about. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. That's it. That's all we've got. So the point is not what he was saying. It's that they recognized authority. You see how Mark is making this point? We're going to set the teaching of Christ aside for another time in the Gospel of Mark. There's teaching segments throughout the Gospel of Mark where we see parables and Jesus teaching His apostles, but not here. We're laying the groundwork first on the authority of Christ and the authority that is displayed in His teaching. It carried a weight, which is why Mark did not want us to be distracted with what the topic of the day was here in the synagogue at this time. And said he wanted us to identify that there is authority, there is power here in the teaching of Christ. Amen. Now I want you to imagine with me that, that you're here in the synagogue. You get to see Jesus. You get to hear his teaching. It would be amazing, right? It would be just simply amazing. And as you think about that, let's consider how this bridges over to us today. Because we're far removed from Capernaum, Right? Not just in location, but also in time. We missed living when Christ lived by about 2,000 years. Yet, I ask you, are we removed from the teaching authority of Christ? Not a bit. It's different. How do we see the authority of Christ in teaching today? It's found in the Word of God that lay open before you that we are looking at right now. You know, every time we gather together, <clears throat> excuse me, every time we gather together and I stand before you, the first words out of my mouth is what? If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Because it's not just about what we're doing here, it's about the Word of God, right? The authority is found here in the book that lay open before us. Amen. Yes, we may be removed from the physical teaching of Christ. And it would have been amazing to witness but the authority that he possessed is found before us. In the reading, studying, teaching, preaching, and the living out of his word. And it's okay for us to look back and, and be amazed at the teaching of Christ, but let us not be any less amazed of the word that he has provided us today. This book that possesses the authority of the Son of God. Amen. You know, I bet if you lived during that time, you would have walked a thousand miles to hear Jesus speak, wouldn't you? I would have. I'd walk 2,000. Whatever it takes to get there, to hear him, to see him. Let us not be any less passionate or less hungry about the written word that he has provided us today. Amen. We almost romance the time in which Jesus lived, and it was a wonderful time. Again, I wouldn't be opposed to going back and to seeing him face to face. But we have to realize, church, that he's given us what we need in the word. Amen. It carries his authority. It carries his weight. 
So before we move into the next part of Jesus' authority, let me just ask you, does the Word of God amaze you? These people that heard Jesus teach, they were amazed at Him. They were amazed at the authority that it possessed. Is the same true for us as we approach the Word? Are we desperate to read it, to know it, to hear it taught and proclaimed? Oh, that God would stir in our hearts a deep hunger that only His Word could satisfy. This is where we have to have our attention and our focus. We have to realize the jewel that's before us in the Word of God. But we do not just see the authority of Jesus in His teaching. We also see it in His authority that's displayed over demons, right? Twice in our verses we're told about this. Let's read those verses again. Jump to verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And then jump down to verse 34. We'll read that again. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Both very similar here in what has happened. Jesus was approached... Then the demon tried to speak through the man. Jesus demanded silence and then commanded the demon to come out of the man. Now, in looking at this, there is no question as we read these verses that Jesus possesses authority over the spiritual realm. Plain and clear. No denying it. In fact, we could go throughout the Gospels and we could see that every time there is an interaction with a a demon in this way, Jesus possesses authority complete and total authority over them. We see them asking Jesus for permission. We see Jesus silencing them and casting them out. And just like in the teaching of Christ that we saw just a moment ago, when the people observed this happening, it amazed them. And they were amazed because of the authority that was put on display. We saw that. Go back again in verse 27 and you'll see it again. And they were all amazed. They witnessed it. They were amazed. They were astonished by it. I want you to notice something. As we read through these verses, Jesus does not cast them out in the name of another. Later on, when we see the apostles interacting in this way, casting out demons, they do so in the name of Christ. It's very clear, very plain. There's no power in of themselves. It's in the name of Jesus. But Jesus here, He has authority all on His own. That Scripture tells us this. In His own authority, He silences them and He sends them away. Again, we want to to step back and try to imagine what this would have looked like, what it felt like, how amazed we would be to be witnessing such authority. Imagine with me someone plagued by a demon. The word used here in these verses uh, is translated differently depending on the English translation that, that you have. In fact, you may have noticed it as we read through it. I want to explain that just briefly since we're looking at this together. There's there's three real points I want to make regarding this word or this phrase. First thing that I want you to know about uh, the word demon that's used here. Uh, It's one word in the Greek, but in all of our English translations, it's two or three words. Oppressed by a demon, possessed 
by a demon, demon oppressed, demon possessed. However it's worded in your translation, that's one word in the Greek. And that's important we know, first off. Uh, and we see that happening sometimes with Greek words that carry more than, uh, carries uh, not just a simple translation straight across, but instead it's this idea, this phrase that is translated. Second thing that I want you to know about this is it is only used 14 times in the New Testament. Only 14 times do we see this occurring in, in this way. Furthermore, it is only found in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see this happening in this way, this word, this phrase, this interaction in this way. Now, I only point that out because there seems to be this spiritual battle taking place in the Gospels that is somewhat unique to the Gospels. Just want to point that out. The third thing I want you to know about this, is, as I've already referenced, some translation use the word oppressed as mine does. I use the ESV. I believe King James uses the word possessed. But again, it's because this word is used only in this way across the Gospels and only used in situations like this, which leaves some room for it to be interpreted differently. Now, I just point all of that out to make this point. However it is translated, however it is reflected in our Bibles, what we need to realize and see today is that Jesus possessed complete authority over this spiritual enemy. We can argue about what's going on in these verses, and some of these verses, even as we get further into the Gospel of Mark, are of much debate. But make no mistake of it, church. They bow a knee to Jesus. Amen. He has complete and total authority over them. Whether these people were oppressed or possessed, Scripture tells us they were set free. And praise God for it. Amen. So the truth that we see here is that Jesus does not just have authority over teaching, but He also has authority over the spiritual realm. Now this is a truth that has a great impact on us today, a deep impact on us today. Now, I want you to, to hold your place here in Mark, but turn, turn forward in me to the book of Ephesians, with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, as we think about this. As we think about how Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm and the impact that it has on us today. We're going to begin in Ephesians 2, and we'll read verse 1 together. Paul is writing here to the church at Ephesus, and he reminds them a very important truth. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's pause there for just a moment. As Paul is writing here to the church, to the redeemed, he reminds them who they were before Christ. It's clear who they were. And who we were before Christ, spiritually dead, following, what's it tell us? The prince of the power of the air, meaning followers 
of Satan. Now, we may not have been possessed by demons or oppressed by demons in the same way that we see in the Gospels, but we don't need to make any mistake of it. We followed the devil himself. That's what Scripture's telling us here. Before we are in Christ, we are following after Him. We lived in the passions of our flesh and were by nature children of wrath. Now, it's important we understand this and we realize this before we move on from this point. We were as helpless and hopeless as a man that is possessed by the devil himself. We need to realize that. We need to feel that. That we have no authority to change the state of our spiritual bankruptcy. But, just as Jesus came in Mark chapter 1 and set the people free, so He did with us. He's offered the same to us. Church, we, we look at Mark 1 and we marvel at what He did and the interactions, and rightly so. But we should know less marvel at what He has done in us. What an amazing thing He has done in us, a work that He has done in us. Let's not make light of our salvation and, and think that there is somehow, uh, or, or think too much of ourself in this. If we're in Christ now, it's because by His power and by His authority, and in spite of our spiritual depravity, He called us into this wonderful salvation. Amen. We, we've got to grab onto that. And we're Ephesians 2, right? Let's keep reading. That's exactly the point Paul makes. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. Those are good verses. Church, we've been brought from death to life. Displaying the authority of Christ in our lives today. Shall we be any less amazed today with the work that He has done among us than the people were who witnessed these things firsthand? Of course not. We have been brought from death to life, a change only made possible by the power of God. Let's go back to Mark 1. Think of what we've seen so far. We've witnessed the authority of Christ in His teaching, his authority over spiritual matters. Now lastly, let's see His authority over disease. This also is pointed out twice in these verses, repeated information or similar information. The same thing happening, I should say it that way. Verse 30 and 31, would you read them again with me? Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And then down in verse 34 again. I know we've read it a couple of times already, but we don't want to miss it. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The healing of Jesus in his ministry, it was a cornerstone of his ministry. He regularly healed people. Throughout the Gospels, we see this work. Jesus healing many. Several very specific examples are found throughout the Gospels. We could begin to recount stories that we know and we're familiar with, maybe that are impactful to us. 
But we don't also want to discount the, discount the general stories that we see, like we just read in verse 34. We have to realize that we don't know anything about these people that were healed in that verse. We don't know what ailments they had. We don't know uh, what, how long they had struggled. We don't know how Jesus healed them. Did he lay his hands on them? Did he speak over them? We're not told. Many were made well. And their story will go unknown this side of eternity. Each time that he healed, though, it was a display of his power and his authority. And that's the point Mark is making in this section. From beginning to end throughout these verses, he keeps pointing us back to the authority and the power of Christ. At this point, Jesus shows to have complete authority over sickness. Now, with that in mind, church, I want us to pause and consider what the root of sickness is. What sickness is meant to remind us of. Or to word it differently, what sickness is a result of? Why do we see sickness in our world? It reminds us how frail we are, right? How weak we are. Can feel good one day and not be able to get out of bed the next, right? Reminds us of our weakness. But it should also remind us of the temporal state of our lives. Our life is temporary. And eventually, sickness will lead to death. For us all, if the Lord tarries long enough. That's just how our world works. But why? What's it a result of? What's it go back to? It goes back to sin. It goes back to sin. The fall of man. Adam and Eve's rebellion against a good God led to death, decay. An aspect of that is disease. Sickness reminds us of the sinful state of humanity in any of its forms. <clears throat> now, I want to be clear here. That does not mean that every sickness that we experience is a result of our own sin. Do you remember when Jesus healed a man born blind in John 9? It's a wonderful story. It's one of my favorites. You have one of the clearest confessions of faith found in that chapter from the man who said, I, I don't know who he was, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I see. It's a beautiful verse. Amen. Beautiful verse. But in that, <clears throat> in that story, we are told that there was this man that was born blind. And as he is pointed out to the apostles, the apostles asked Jesus a question. It was this, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now this sickness, this, this ailment was believed to be a result a direct result of sin. Now, Jesus corrected them here, you may recall, and told them that it is neither he nor his parents that sinned that caused this man to be born blind, but instead it was so, so that the power of God could be on display. <clears throat> now, what that tells us is that his blindness, though not a result of his own sin or the sin of his parents, doesn't mean it wasn't a result of the fallen nature of our world. Doesn't mean that it wasn't a result of sin. As sickness even is today. Now, we may not be sick because we have sinned, but sickness is a reminder of the sinful state of our world. For if it were not for the fall of man, blindness, sickness, decay, death, it would not be a reality that we know. But now it is a part of life. 
It's intimately tied in with the healing of these individuals that we see in these verses. The problem they knew all too well, that we all know all too well. Our world is fallen. We are fallen. Our world is broken. Sin has separated us from the perfect one. Sickness reminds us of how powerless we really are. Think with me for a moment. The the sickest you've ever been. Are you sick for a week? How did you feel? Did you have any power or authority to change your circumstances? Even going to the doctor, we realize how limited they are, right? They can only do so much. They don't have true authority over sickness. But Jesus does, right? Sickness reminds us how powerless we really are. But these verses, in contrast... Show us how powerful Jesus is while reminding us that he is unmatched in authority. Disease often reminds us of the little authority that we have, but these verses display a Messiah that has complete authority over disease. Church, I want to remind you that we have not trusted in one that bows a knee to anyone or anything that we face. Instead, we have just the opposite. We bow our knee to one that everyone else is going to bow a knee to. And everything we will face, sin, suffering, spiritual warfare, Jesus has authority over all. Let us realize that as we look at these verses. This is the good news of it. It's not just over sickness. The reality is much deeper here in these verses. It's not just physical. It points to our spiritual need. We're not hoping for for temporal, physical healing, right? All those healed in this chapter, we're not told how many it is, right? It was many. But even if you were to take everyone throughout the Gospels that was healed by Christ in any way, I could get thousands of people, right? Where are they now? They're dead, right? It was temporary. It wasn't about this physical, temporary uh, healing from sickness. If, if that's all Jesus had to offer, we are a people that have no hope. Right. No, what we are seeing happening here in these verses is a reflection of something much deeper than a physical healing. We're seeing a spiritual healing taking place. And the offering of it. Jesus is a good Savior. Amen. He possesses ultimate healing authority. The authority to forgive us of our sins. We have to realize that that is our greatest need. Let us not water down the coming of Christ to a physical healing we may crave. Instead, let us read these verses and marvel at the fact that Jesus has done a greater work in us if we are in Him today. We may want to be set free from a sickness we have, a disease that is going on in our lives. But do not discount the salvation if you are in Him. He has done a great work in you. So are you alive in Christ this morning? Then rejoice at the fact that Jesus has healed you, not from a physical ailment, not from suffering this side of eternity, but for eternity you have been healed and one day you will be with Him. You know, Any time we come across the truth in this Scripture, I cannot help but remember the words of the Apostle Paul written to the church at Rome. In Romans 8.18, 
He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. May we remember that verse. That we have something far greater in Christ than physical healing this side of eternity. Let us be reminded this day about the authority of Christ and be amazed at it. And see how this authority plays out in our lives and rejoice at the fact that we have such a powerful Savior. As we draw to a close here, or come closer to a close, I want us to reflect on this authority a little bit more practically. Really asking the question, how can this truth that Jesus possesses complete authority have an impact on us today? What should it mean to our lives? What should it look like? How should it play out? In our lives, in our church, with our families. First, I think probably most importantly, because if we get this first part right, the rest will fall into place. We must realize that Jesus' teaching authority is reflected in His Word. We don't read these verses and long for something that we missed by 2,000 years. We read these verses and we remember and realize that the authority of Christ is open before us in the Word of God. Let us be amazed by it. Practically, let's read it, know it, obey it, realizing it has the final authority in our lives, and realizing that this flies in the face of what the world tells us. The world preaches that we should be governed by our feelings, governed by what we want, The heart wants what it wants, right? No. The Word of God offers something far greater. So when the world is telling you to chase after whatever you want, I urge you, Christian, to bow a knee to the authority of the Word of God and live your life according to it regarding even the smallest of decisions in your life. Test it against the Scripture. Orient your life to the Word of God. So I ask you, Christian, is that what your life is governed by? The Word of God, does He get to call the shots in your life? Are you bowing a knee to Him? Second truth that I want us to realize that as we look at these verses, we can't help but realize that Jesus has authority over the spiritual need that we have, the spiritual sickness that we have. This is meant to show us a deeper truth. And it is this, that He has the authority to make us alive and free from our greatest sickness, our own sinfulness. So I ask you today, have you been made alive in Christ? Do you know this to be true? I urge you, He, has, he alone has the authority to bring you from death to life. He alone has the authority to forgive you of your sins and to keep you from eternal suffering. Have you placed your faith in Him today? If not, I urge you, as we close now, to bow your knee to the authority of the Savior. And church, let us rejoice in the work that He does through us. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you again. Thankful, Lord, for your word. Thankful, Lord, for your authority as it's displayed in these verses. 
I pray, Father, that all of us will bow a knee to this authority. And Lord, if there be someone among us that has not placed their faith in Christ, that they would do so today, that you draw them now during this time. And Father, for the believers across this room, I pray that they would reflect on the authority that is found in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would bring to mind anything, any part of our life, or any part of, of our church that does not bow to your authority, that you'd make it clear to us that we would be able to reorient our lives to you and to your word. In all these things, Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified and Jesus' name would be praised. In his name, amen. Thank you.